From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, experience with a femtosecond laser, part two. I suspect that it is kinder to the endothelium than other standard techniques in those circumstances. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. This is part two of my interview with Jared Sutton on his experience with a femtosecond laser. We pick up where we left off last time. There are several costs to the femtosecond laser. One of the costs is the time that it adds uh, to the the case. In, in, In a typical femtosecond laser cataract surgery, how much time did the femtosecond laser add to the total procedure? Well, I think that uh, as you gain experience, it's probably, well, it is less than 10 minutes. Um, I can usually do it in less than five minutes now. Uh, And in terms of my overall operating list and the the flow of my operating theater, it it doesn't have any negative impact on time at all uh, because whilst I'm um, doing one of the femtosecond lasers, uh, my next patient is being moved into the main operating theatre. And so the time that it takes me to do the femtosecond laser is now less than the time it takes to get one patient out of an operating theatre and another one in. But the actual procedure itself is five to ten minutes. You demonstrated a substantial advantage to experience. How does experience help with things like capsulotomy and constriction of the pupil, uh, where, where, where you showed that it clearly did help? Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it, it does help. And uh, even in that study, I think that we showed it to some degree, but we have now done uh, 1,500 cases and we have just recently statistically analysed uh, all of those issues uh, in the second, uh, the second group of 1,300 cases. And in terms of um, pupil constriction, uh, suction breaks, um, anterior capsulotomy tags, anterior capsulotomy tears, PC tears and PC dislocations, the improvement or the reduction in the rate of those complications is highly statistically significant in all groups and that is with a p-value of less than 0.001. So there's no doubt that with experience and um, you know whether you've used the femtosecond laser or not with experience, all of those issues uh, become less important and less significant, and we have shown that statistically. But the, the reason that experience helps with something like capsulotomy is that experience will allow you to, to be more perpendicular in your treatment to the eye? I think so. I think that there, there are two reasons there. One is that you become better at docking uh, perpendicularly, and so you have less tilt and so the laser is cutting, um, I think, more accurately. But secondly, the software changes that have been introduced to allow for that tilt are also important. 
Um, there are also issues such as the amount of laser offset that you put in, you program into the machine uh, for the capsule, how much energy you use, what the spot separation is, all of those issues uh, which affect the algorithm of the laser all have um, impact on the number of um, free caps that you get. And I suspect that most importantly for those surgeons who had problems uh, initially in our group, they become, they've become more sensitive to the fact that you know, you're not going to get a completely free capsule in every single one of your cases. And so they're more sensitive to that. So I think that for all of those reasons, um, the, you know, the capsule otomies are much better and safer. And the reason for the pupillary constriction is because the surgeon is delivering some of the femtosecond laser energy to the iris posterior surface. Yeah, look, I think that's, that's absolutely true. So initially when we started off, we were clearly using too much energy and you actually um, observe that the cortex is being, um, is being heated and that can cause a problem also with the, you know, trying to get the, cap the cortex off the capsule at the end of the procedure. But that energy was then causing the pupil to come down. So optimising the energy levels so that you're avoiding pupil constriction but still getting, you know, your, 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 your free cap, that is, uh, you know, that is all part of the learning curve. But also, you know, putting a, a drop of phenylephrine in immediately after the femtosecond laser has certainly helped uh, with that issue. Now, Jared, I, I hope that this next question doesn't sound too cynical, uh, but I, I, I was under the impression that one advantage of the femtosecond laser was that it eliminates much of the learning curve involved in manual surgery, yet your study demonstrates that the femtosecond portion of the procedure itself has a substantial learning curve. Is the femtosecond laser a difficult device to, to learn to use? Look, I think that there, there's clearly a learning curve. Um, but as I said earlier, um, you know, for those of us who've used a femtosecond for LASIK before, I mean, I really don't think that there is any learning curve at all. And certainly for those surgeons who will now be adopting the technology. Um, I think that you know the early adopters and, and groups like ours that have put forward strategies to you know reduce the risks. I think that everybody's learning curve is going to be relatively flat. Um, I've mentored a number of surgeons who have taken up the technology, and really, I don't think that it, it, it's going to be a major issue. And someone asked me the same question the other day uh, in an interview, and I was reminded of uh, when phacoemulsification was introduced, and the you know the extraordinary learning curve that that we all went through with that. And I think that the femtosecond laser is nothing like it. I mean, we're in chapter one really of the femtosecond story, and I think that yes, there is a little bit of a learning curve, but the learning curve is not steep. And I think that um, adherence to a few basic, um, you know, sensitivities or adjustments to your surgical technique, um, I really don't think that that's going to be a problem uh, in, the, in the medium term. Now, I want to circle back to something that you said before. Given the generation of vapor that results from the femtosecond laser pulses, do surgeons need to exhibit extra caution when performing hydrodissection because of the increased volume of the lens as a result of, of the generation of these, these vapor bubbles? I think the short answer is yes. 
but it's probably not as significant as um, we thought it was uh, when we saw um, the first uh, two um, capsular block uh, cases of, of, of one of my partners. And when you're, when you're watching it, it's quite rather disconcerting initially because you can see gas behind the lens or beside the lens and building up within the lens. And if you're dealing with a very dense nucleus, um, that gas is being pushed right against the, uh, against the capsule itself. And so, you know, certainly with all cases, um, I think that it's mandatory to decompress your anterior chamber so that the pressure is not high. And secondly, careful hydrodissection, I think, is always important whether you're doing manual phacoemulsification or using a femtosecond laser. But um, even now, if I'm dealing with a very dense nucleus and I see that there is a significant amount of air behind the lens, then what I will do is go in and um, split the nucleus. I'll break it in half to let that air come forward prior to doing the hydrodissection. Now, I don't do that as often as I used to be, as I used to, because I don't think that it's as significant. And certainly, if I see a small gas bubble, it doesn't bother me at all. But if I see a significant amount of gas, then I'll go in and I'll use an agahoshi and I'll split the nucleus, let that gas come forward prior to performing a hydrodeception. Jared, this paper deals with the first set of, of, of patients that you did with the femtosecond laser. What has your experience been since then? Well, it's been, it's been very positive, actually. Um, I, um, a lot of my partners would see me as a, a bit of a pessimist, the academic in the group, um, who's a little bit pessimistic and always wanting to see uh, evidence of, uh, of success in these procedures. But I see myself as a, as a cautious optimist, and that's certainly uh, how I see uh, femtosecond cataract surgery. Uh, I use it for every single one of my refractive lens exchange and cataract surgeries, and it, it really is a, an enjoyable way of doing cataract surgery. But from an evidence-based medicine point of view, the second study that we have just submitted uh, for publication compares that learning curve group with every single subsequent patient that we've done. And as I said, you know, we have not seen a single uh, posterior lens dislocation since that initial series. Our PC tear rate across the group is 0.3%, which compares reasonably uh, with, um, with phaco emulsification. And I think that um, you know, all the other technical issues such as pupil constriction and capsular and radial tears, all of those issues have become much less significant. So I think that for the surgeons who are adopting this technology, they're really coming in um, not at the ground floor but at the first floor uh, in terms of the technology and in terms of the techniques that we've learned. So I, I, I didn't, we wanted to get this paper out because we thought it was important to identify what the potential problems uh, could be and how to address them. It certainly wasn't our, um, <laughs> our aim to scare everybody away from femtosecond cataract surgery because our impression and our experience has been overwhelmingly positive. And whilst I cannot at this point uh, show clear evidence-based medicine of superiority, you know, it certainly is my belief uh, that this is a great technique 
and that it will be the future of cataract surgery. Jared, for, for me, the bottom line question is this. Aside from being able to tell our patients that I'm taking out their cataract with a laser, is the femtosecond procedure worth incorporating into my practice? Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and I think that, you know, you've identified the, the cost and the, you know, the, the potential marketing advantage. And I must say that I haven't really, really looked at that. I mean, as a, as a professor, you know, my aim has been to try to look at the evidence-based medicine and try to help identify problems with the technology and improve it. Um, but certainly, um, we have found in the practice overall that the uh, our cataract volume has increased, and uh, every surgeon in our practice uh, their preference is to do the femtosecond laser. But if you're asking me, can I produce now a piece of um, of evidence that shows that it's superior for the patients from a refractive outcome or from a safety profile, then I can't do it at this stage. We have one study group that we're looking at, which is our multifocal intraocular lens group. And it's the first group where we are showing some uh, p-values, some uh, statistical evidence that the refractive outcomes are a little bit better in the laser group. But, you know, this is not strong enough that I would, uh, I would hang my hat on it at this point. But I think that's the question that, you know, that there are, you know, many ophthalmologists around the world that are asking themselves uh, exactly that question. Should I invest in a femtosecond laser or not? And I suspect that it's not a question that we'll be asking in, uh, in 12 months or in, uh, in two years. I think it will be widespread technology. And I think that it will be not necessarily um, uh, universal, but certainly widespread use. The question that I have, I do get asked is, well, what about um, difficult cases? What about uh, white cataracts and, you know, four-plus nuclear sclerosis? Are there any other advantages, um, for example, for patients with endothelial disease who, you know, you're using less FACO energy, so could these patients be better off uh, using the, the laser cataract surgery? So, I mean, I think that those issues are also relevant. Let's say that I, I've, I've, I've a patient not with Frank Fuchs, but with, with a whole mess of Goutte or, or a patient with a very dense lens. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that I'm, that I'm going to be using Tripan Blue uh, as, as capsule stain. Can I skip Tripan Blue if, if I can do my, my capsulotomy with the, uh, with the femtosecond laser? Uh, the answer is I wouldn't. Um, I, I've done a couple of uh, white cataracts uh, using the laser, but you can only do the capsulotomy in the wound so that if you can't see into the lens, then the femtosecond laser won't cut the lens into pieces. But it does produce that beautiful rexus, which, you know, in those cases of white cataracts can sometimes be a little bit difficult. But in every white cataract that I've operated on, I have also still used uh, Vision Blue. I think that from a, um, uh, an endothelial protection point of view, this hasn't been proven, but we are using you know, much less phacoemulsification energy. And I think Zoltan Nagy's group has shown, and, uh, and there's been one or two other papers that have shown, that we are using less phaco energy. So I have, um, I've used the femtosecond laser on patients with frank Fuchs dystrophy, uh, with Gattata, I've done uh, triple procedures, doing an endokeratoplasty with the cataract operation with the femtosecond laser. 
Uh, I've used it on uh, patients who've had previous penetrating keratoplasty and I feel very comfortable doing that. Uh, I suspect that it is kinder to the endothelium than uh, the standard techniques in those circumstances. You know, the first advantage I think we're going to see is with the premium lenses, the multifocals and the toric lenses because there's a recent paper that's just been published uh, which is just beginning to show that the effective lens position, not not just in terms of an anteroposterior uh, setting, but also uh, in terms of a, um, a lateral displacement, is is superior if you have a perfect rexus. Now, in that circumstance, if we are putting in multifocal intraocular lenses or toric intraocular lenses, I think that we will begin to see an advantage with the femtosecond laser. Now, if you have your, your own perfect lens that you can put in, then I agree with you that um, that, that would be ideal. But, but even in the setting of the current premium intraocular lenses that we have, I think that we will begin to see an advantage with the femtosecond lens. Jared, thank you so much. Okay, Doc. Well, good luck with it. Jared Sutton is professor of corneal and refractive surgery at the Sydney Medical School Foundation, the SaveSight Institute at Sydney University, and the Vision Eye Institute in Sydney, Australia. His paper, Early Experience with a Femtosecond Laser for Cataract Surgery, appears in the May 2012 issue of Ophthalmology. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting anytime you want. And it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center or better yet, join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or, better yet, join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Sutton or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.